And let us turn in our Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 8. I had kind of intended to, to conclude our study of this section with the previous chapter, and yet God wouldn't really give me a direction that I felt was right. And reading this is not really a fun passage, I have to say, and yet it is a passage of God's Word. It is a passage that we need to be reminded as we look at the coming judgment on Israel, we are reminded as well of the coming judgment day of ourselves and that we need to be prepared. And we look as well at the, the God carrying the Shunammite woman through the midst of all of this and providing for her. So let us hear together God's word from Second Kings chapter 8. Then Elisha spoke to the woman whose son he had restored to life, saying, Arise and go, you and your household, and stay wherever you can. For the Lord has called for a famine, and furthermore, it will come upon the land for seven years. So the woman arose and did according to the saying of the man of God, and she went with her household and dwelt in the land of the Philistines seven years. It came to pass at the end of seven years that the woman returned from the land of the Philistines, and she went to make an appeal to the king for her house and for her land. Then the king talked with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, Tell me, please, all the great things Elisha has done. Now it happened, as he was telling the king how he had restored the dead to life, that there was the woman whose son he had restored to life, appealing to the king for her house and for her land. And Gehazi said, My lord, O king... This is the woman, and this is her son, whom Elisha restored to life. And when the king asked the woman, she told him. So the king appointed a certain officer for her, saying, Restore all that was hers and all the proceeds of the field from the day that she left the land until now. Then Elisha went to Damascus, and Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, was sick. And it was told him, saying, The man of God has come here. And the king said to Haziel, Take a present in your hand, and go meet the man of God, and inquire of the Lord by him, saying, Shall I recover from this disease? So Haziel went to meet him, and took a present with him of every good thing of Damascus, forty camel loads. And he came and stood before him, and said, Your son Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, has sent me to you, saying, Shall I recover from this disease? And Elisha said to him, Go, say to him, You shall certainly recover. However, the Lord has shown me that he will really die. Then he set, set his countenance in a stare until he was ashamed, and the man of God wept. And Haziel said, Why is my Lord weeping? He answered, Because I know the evil that you will do to the children of Israel. Their strongholds you will set on fire, and their young men you will kill with the sword, and you will dash their children and rip open their women with child. So Haziel said, but what is your servant, a dog, that he should do this gross thing? And Elisha answered, The Lord has shown me that you will become king over Syria. Then he departed from Elisha and came to his master, who said to him, What did Elisha say to you? And he answered, He told me you would surely recover. But it happened on the next day that he took a thick cloth and dipped it in water and spread it over his face so that he died, and Haziel reigned in his place. Now in the fifth year of Joram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, Jehoshaphat, having been king of Judah, Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, began to reign as king of Judah. 
He was 32 years old when he became king, and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem. And he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, just as the house of Ahab had done. For the daughter of Ahab was his wife, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Yet the Lord would not destroy Judah for the sake of his servant David, as he promised to give a lamp to him and his sons forever. In his days, Edom revolted against Judah's authority and made a king over themselves. And Joram went to Zair and all his chariots with him. Then he rose by night and attacked the Edomites who had surrounded him, and the captains of the chariots and the troops fled to their tents. Thus Edom has been in revolt against Judah's authority to this day, and Libna revolted at that time. Now the rest of the acts of Joram and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? So Joram rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. Then Ahaziah his son reigned in his place. In the twelfth year of Joram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, began to reign. Ahaziah was twenty-two years old when he became king. And he reigned one year in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Athaliah, the granddaughter of Omri, king of Israel. And he walked in the way of the house of Ahab and did evil in the sight of the Lord, like the house of Ahab, for he was the son-in-law of the house of Ahab. Now he went with Joram, the son of Ahab, to war against Haziel, king of Syria, at Ramoth-Gilead, and the Syrians wounded Joram. Then King Joram went back to Jezreel to recover from the wounds which the Syrians had inflicted on him at Ramah when he fought against Haziel, king of Syria. And Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, went down to see Joram, the son of Ahab, in Jezreel because he was sick. Thus far, the reading of God's word, may he add his blessing to our consideration of it this morning. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, As we look at this passage, we see that God's judgment on Israel is coming. We, in fact, see he who would do it is already born, and in this chapter, he seizes rule over Syria. Now, I think there's a real head-scratcher for us when we see his reaction about what Elisha prophesies that he will do. That he reacts in horror. But when he is given the opportunity to grasp rulership, he grabs that opportunity by murdering Ben-Hadad. We have to understand that without a restraining hand, each of us is capable of these sorts of horrors. Now that restraining hand can be external by laws or police, or it can be internal by the power of the Holy Spirit. But we have to understand that it requires restraining hand on human evil. God's judgment on this world is coming as well. Jesus stands as judge at the end of the world. For us as Christians, this is a great comfort. But for the unbelieving world around us, Jesus puts it this way. We all know John 3.16. John 3.18-20 puts it this way. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds be exposed. And yet in the midst of this judgment, we see the Shunammite woman. Part of God's judgment on Israel is the famine that he sends on the land. 
Israel, in their rebellion, received God's correction in the manner of a great famine, calling them from their false gods who could do nothing about the famine to the one true God who sent famine again and again and reminded them who he was. Yet we see this Shunammite woman protected by God in the midst of the famine. Notice that she is safe from the famine in the land of the Philistines, which is very nearby Israel. God is the one who is directing where the rain falls and where it does not fall. And God cares for this woman who had made God's servant Elisha a priority. And so as we look at this passage, we are reminded of the judgment that is coming against Israel, against Judah as well in the later verses. And yet, at the beginning of this chapter, we also run into the king of Israel treating the power of God through Elisha as a curiosity instead of bowing down before him. So as we look at this passage, the theme that we want to see is God protects his people in the midst of his judgment against the world, against Judah and Israel. God protects his people in the midst of his judgment against Judah and Israel. And God protects the Shunammite woman who had cared for Elisha, verses 1 through 6. We see that Elisha is sent to prepare for the judgment of Israel in verses 7 through 18. And in verses um, 19 through 29, that we see that despite Judah's downward spiral, God is still unwilling to destroy Judah for David's sake. So first of all, the Shunammite woman, God gives her a warning. Elisha spoke to the woman whose son he had restored to life. Being near God's word has its advantages. Elisha had the opportunity to warn her as this judgment, as this reminder comes to Israel. If we are not near God, how can he warn us of upcoming danger? We read in Proverbs 22, verse 3, The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. And so Elisha warns this woman of the danger coming. And she hears Elisha's warning and heads to Philistia. Now we have to remember that God's people were not to leave the promised land. And yet here, God sends her outside of the promised land because the promised land is under God's judgment. And at the time when Elisha had said the famine would end at the end of seven years... She returns from the land of the Philistines and went to the king to appeal for her house and her land. The, the allotment going back all the way to Joshua. The allotment of land that she would have according to her family should be returned to her. And she goes to the king for this. And yet, of course, we know Israel was not being guided by the truth of God's word. They were being guided by a wicked king. And yet, God brings the issue to mind. God provides for the return of her losses. God brings to mind, to the mind of the wicked king, what Elisha had done. And he asks for a recount. He's talking to Gehazi. And in the context of this, the Shunammite woman comes. And it is designed by God. This king who was treating the word of God and the power of God as a curiosity is in the midst of this con conversation with Gehazi. 
And in walks the Shunammite woman, just as they had talked about the fact that God had used Elisha to restore the dead to life. There was the woman whose son Elisha, verse 5, had restored to life, appearing in, appealing for her house and land. And the king restores to her more than she desires. She's just seeking her family's inheritance back. According to God's division of the promised land, going all the way back to Joshua. And yet, what does the king say? Hearing about what had God, God had done for her through Elisha, seeks to have the very proceeds of the fields returned to her as well. God provides more than we need, more than we ask. We need to trust in Him. God even uses and directs wicked kings for His purpose, wicked rulers for His purposes. And yet at that same time, we also see the march of God's judgment in the background. And Elisha, we see, is sent to Damascus to prepare that judgment. Now Elisha is sent to Damascus where Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, was sick. It was told him, verse 7, that he was, that the man of God has come here. Now notice what's going on. In Israel, they were treating the word of God as a curiosity. They were not treating it as it is the very word of God. And in Israel, it was not honored, but God's prophet, the man of God, was honored in this foreign nation, in Syria, in the enemy of Israel. The horror of what we also see in the previous verses is the king is wondering at the power of God through Elisha, but not bowing himself before God. And so God sent Elisha to Damascus where he would receive honor. And the king then sends his advisor, Haziel, to bring a present to Elisha and to ask him to inquire of the Lord about his recovery prospects. The man who killed Ben-Hadad was a close confidant of his, so much so that he was the one Ben-Hadad sent. People can cover their true motives very well. And notice what Haziel brought. He brought a huge presence, present, I'm sorry, to Elisha. He brought 40 camel loads of every good thing from Damascus. Notice the king of Israel was not listening really to Elisha, was not interested in all that God had done. But the king of Syria took note. This foreign enemy of Israel took note. And Elisha prophesies the horrible things that Haziel will do to Israel in God's judgment. We see God's knowledge of the possible as well as of the future here. Without Haziel murdering him, Ben-Hadad would recover. And Elisha, then having told him this, stares at him and weeps. And when he's asked by Haziel why he's weeping, Elisha tells him what he knows he will do to the people of Israel. 
Now we have to understand the horrors of God's judgment against wickedness, the wickedness of Israel, burning their fortified cities, killing their young men. Now these are matters of war. But dashing their children to the ground, ripping open pregnant women, these are horrifying to us even today. And they were even to Haziel. Notice that. He says, am I a dog that I should do these sorts of things? But it ought to remind us as well of God's judgment on the nations of Canaan that God had the Israelites destroy man, woman, and child on the way into the promised land because of their wickedness. In fact, we're told that the reason God brought Israel into the promised land when He did, Genesis 15, 16, was when the iniquity of the Amorites was complete. It was not complete at that point in Genesis 15, 16. A few laters after what we read here, God through Ezekiel says about Judah, Ezekiel 5, verses 5 through 11, Thus says the Lord God, this is Jerusalem. I have set her in the midst of the nations and the countries all around her. She has rebelled against my judgments by doing wickedness more than the nations and against my statutes more than the countries that are all around her. For they have refused my judgments and they have not walked in my statutes. Therefore, thus says the Lord, because you have multiplied disobedience more than the nations that are all around you, have not walked in my statutes, nor kept my judgments, nor even done according to the judgments of the nations that are all around you, Therefore, thus says the Lord, indeed, I even I am against you and will execute judgments in your midst in the sights of the nations. And I will do among you what I have never done and the like of which I will never do again because of your abominations. And we, we see the judgment of God because Israel, because Judah had gone worse than the nations which God had cast out before them, worse than the nations around them. And we have to think about, there's a judgment coming worse than any judgment like this. The horrors of God's judgments against the wickedness of this world. His judgment at the end of time will be far greater. We read concerning Sodom and Gomorrah in Jude 7, and as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality, and gone after strange flesh are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. That word example is like the thought of a test tube of eternal fire. We have to understand judgment is coming on the wickedness of this world. And we ought to pity the unbeliever who is walking blithely on their way to judgment. We so easily, if you've been reading along with my Bible reading plan, we read about the psalmist saying that I envied the unbeliever because he was, felt pretty good. He wasn't having the problems that the believer has. But brothers and sisters, the psalmist also reminds us, then I considered their end, where they were going. That the day of judgment is coming. We need to be prepared for that day. And so as Haziel has been given this horrific 
prediction, his first response is disgust. He says, am I a dog that I should do this thing? And Elisha responded, the Lord has shown me that you are to be king over Syria. Power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. We have to understand that. This is why we need to be praying for our leaders that God would give them humility so that they would not become these sorts of people because human power is evil if it is not curbed by the Word of God. So Haziel, hearing that he has the possibility of becoming king, does what? He gets on the road. His ambition to become king of Syria brings him to these terrible things. And we have to understand that without God changing our hearts, this is within the heart of every human being. As I said, the real head-scratcher, at least to me, is would he have ever gone this direction without this information from Elisha? And having heard what he did, would do, though he initially responds in disgust, he, hum- he jumps at the opportunity to gain power. And he returned from Elisha. Ben-Hadad asked what Elisha had said to him. And Haziel responded, me, he told you, me, you would surely recover. And the next day, he took a thick cloth, dipped it in water, and spread it over Ben-Hadad's face so that he died. And he took over power. He reigned in his place. And brothers and sisters, as we read this, we read this in the middle of the downward spiral of Israel, of Judah. And we're reminded, I think, too much forcibly of the downward spiral of our own culture. And that we are in a culture that needs to turn back to Christ from the wickedness that they have taken as who they are. And yet, as we look at this, God's protective hand is particularly on Judah because His promises were to them. Now, I hear people quoting things from the Old Testament. If God's people whom He calls by His name will turn from their errors and evil ways, God will save them. We have to understand that though we have been greatly blessed as a nation, we do not have that imprimatur which says that the United States is God's special people. God's church is His special people today. Not the people of Israel, that little nation made up in 1944 by the League of Nations. And not the people of the United States. We have to understand Judah had that. Because they were God's people, and particularly for David's sake, they were protected by God. But in the end, of course, they got so wicked, as we've already read, that they were then destroyed. So Judah is in a downward spiral, and we see a little bit of that more laid out for us here. In the fifth year of Joram, son of Ahab, now we get confused because there are two Jorams running around here. Joram, the son of Ahab, is king of Israel. Joram, or Jehoram is the son of Jehoshaphat. He began to reign as king of Judah. And Joram, by the way, of Judah, (coughs) excuse me, had a great ton of good things going for him. He had a godly father. He He was 
working to bring about a system of religious instruction for the people. He commanded for his judges to be just. We can read about these things in 2 Chronicles 14, 17, 19. And even when he, the surrounding nations attacked him, he trusted in the Lord and gained a great victory in 2 Chronicles 20. But his wife, we read the, the, the Cliff Notes version in our chapter this morning, his alliances with the wicked kings, his daughter as the his wife as the daughter of Ahab was a military alliance and they pulled him away from God so much so that we read that he did evil in the sight of the Lord despite all of these good things that he did. And so he lived in wickedness. He, he followed after his father-in-law. And yet though they're not destroyed. They're not destroyed because of God's promise to David, yet they fall very far. And we read about the Edomites um, rebelling against them. Libna rebel against them. So Judah and um, Israel gathered together. They were allies because of the marriages and the intermarriages. And they went after to Zaire with his chariots, and he attacked the Edomites by night. But they had surrounded him and his chariots, and so his troops, verse 21, fled to their tents. They were overwhelmed. And Edom continued in revolt against Judah. And Libna revolted. God knows our works. These little verses, verse 22, or verse 23, the rest of the works of Jehoram, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? God knows what we've done. Where is our hope? Our hope needs to be in Jesus Christ, not in ourselves. We need to be much more like the Shunammite woman, putting our trust in the Word of God, in His truth, than in the world around us, in the um, military and powers of this world that we might think have power here. But God has all power. And yet, even Joram, or Jehoram of Judah, when he rested with his father, was buried in Bethlehem in the city of David, which was a great honor. And then Jehoram is replaced by Ahaziah, his son, again reigning wickedly in Judah. Jehoram or Jehoram of Judah reigns seven years. Ahaziah reigns one year. Notice Jehoram of Israel continues to be king there. And he was 22 when he became king. He reigned for a year. And we are here introduced to his mother, Athaliah. If you've read ahead or remember these passages from other readings, Athaliah is going to become a significant player in the history of Israel as a queen who grabbed authority in Israel and was very, very wicked. And yet Ahaziah continues to follow the path of Ahab in evil in the sight of God. 
He walked in the way of the house of Ahab. And Ahaziah allies Judah, continues with Israel to go to war against Haziel. Remember that guy early in the chapter? Things are getting to problems. And the king of Israel, Joram, was wounded in the battle. He returns to Jezreel to recuperate. And Joram, being related to him by marriage, he would have been his uncle, visits him there because of his sickness. And we see the the intermingling with the world, with the sin, instead of following after God. Judah does not learn from Israel for the judgments that are coming against Israel, from the the reminders, the corrections. They continue down that path. And we have to ask ourselves, where are we? What path are we on? We talked in our catechism reading this morning about living in thanksgiving to God. And as we look at this passage, we need to be reminded that today is the day of salvation. Our trust needs to be in the Lord fully, not in our own things, not in the abilities of man. God is patient, but judgment will come. Are we prepared? And as we think about, as we sang a few minutes ago, what can we bring to heaven with us? We can bring other people who need Jesus, who need the gospel. And so, brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, as we consider the judgment of God on Israel, we are reminded, looking forward to the judgment of God on this world. Yet once more, I shake not only heaven, or not only the earth, but heaven and earth. And are we prepared for that, or are we, like Judah, just going on our merry way? Not real worried about it. Because the day of judgment will come. Amen. Let us then rise and bow our heads and our hearts before God's throne of grace and prayer, and we'll close this prayer together with the Lord's Prayer. Almighty, gracious, heavenly Father, we stand in awe as we consider judgment on this earth, the judgment that you had on the people of Israel that is coming upon them soon in our passage. And Lord, we look around us and we see the horrors of this world, and we know that a day of judgment is coming. We pray for ourselves that you would bless us that our hope would not be in the things of this world, that we would not live just blithely like Judah did, walking the wide road that led to destruction. But rather for your grace, that where we trust in ourselves, where we do not consider or are concerned about our sins, we would turn, that our hope would be in Christ alone. We pray, Lord, that you would bless us to love those around us, to call them to you, to call them to our awesome Savior. 
We pray, Lord, that you would use us as a church, as a light to this community and to the ends of the earth. Calling those who know but don't believe or perhaps have never heard the wonders of your gospel. We pray, Lord, use us to that end. We pray, Lord, looking to your hand, knowing that we are unworthy. But we pray this for the sake of your Son. For it is in Christ's name that we pray, as he taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.